Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be discussing the 1956 film Forbidden Planet and Shakespeare's The Tempest. My name is Caroline. I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. And we are talking about two things today that seem unrelated, but actually are quite related. And that's Forbidden Planet, the science fiction movie, and Shakespeare's last play, The Tempest. Oh, was his last play? Yes. So actually, I'll I'll jump all the way to the end here. The very ending monologue that Prospero gives Mm -hmm. is about setting himself free. People interpret that as like a a Shakespeare, like self, uh, self insertion, basically Mm. asking the audience to set him free, basically. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to (laughs) Forbidden Planet. So Forbidden Planet was a science fiction movie, which was made in 1956, quite a while ago. And yeah, it's it's weird to think that like people that were like a lot like born in 1956, like could even still be alive at this point. Right. I know. I know. It's (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) For, through, for our listeners. Through, through science fiction. <laughs> through science fiction. My, my dad was born in 1956. <laughs> so what I didn't know about this movie was that was, at the time, was one of the most big-budgeted science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. So there was, uh, in the 50s, there were lots of very kind of what they call grade B science fiction movies that were very low-budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of silly at times, many monsters. And you can probably find pictures of some of these monsters or clips on YouTube that were like really basically a guy in a gorilla suit or something. Yeah. <laughs> so Forbidden Planet was actually quite advanced and I read about it today. They actually were nominated for special effects. Wow. So oh. uh, you like the cover art for the poster, right? <laughs> oh my God. We'll get to the poster in a second. But I think that's actually an interesting point you bring up because science fiction as a genre only in like the last you know, few decades has come into being kind of critically acclaimed. Like before that, it was sort of like, like Pulp Fiction kind of stuff. It was like, so, sort of seen as silly and genre and like not taken very seriously. Correct. Um, the fact that this movie, that they dumped so much money into this movie to make it the cutting edge of special effects at the time is is really telling about how science fiction was sort of beginning to shift to be a more serious genre. Yeah, as an aside, uh, Lem wrote a very interesting essay criticizing the Western science fiction, basically saying it's all trash. <laughs> and the only I mean, exce- from Lem's point of view, I could understand that entirely. <laughs> well, the, the only person he liked was Philip K. Dick. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> even a little surprising? <laughs> that tracks exactly. Uh, so, yeah, but I did hate the cover art. The cover art, if anybody uh, goes in and does a little Googleroo, a forbidden planet it's like this this cartoon version of robbie the robot holding this girl who's like draped over his arms and i'm like if, if that doesn't summarize exactly what this movie is like <laughs> so the reason that we want to explain why we're doing forbidden planet and the tempest together right so as you will discover that forbidden planet was loosely inspired by the tempest in the end i guess we'll discuss the perils but Regarding the science fiction of 1956, this movie had a couple of different things in it that were not done before. So mm-hmm. uh, they had faster than light spaceships. 
Okay, that wasn't that wasn't used before that. No, no. Oh, okay. The the entire action of the sh the the movie took place on another planet. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, interesting. And it was first robot that had some personality. Mm -hmm. Robbie. So, um, sort of similarity between uh, Forbidden Planet and Tempest is that there was a father figure who was a kind of a magician. There mm -hmm. was a very pretty young daughter. <laughs> Mm -hmm. There was love at first sight. Was love at first sight, <laughs> uh, uh, and and then there are various shenanigans. <laughs> so, should we just um, talk about the the plot of um, Forbidden Planet first? Yeah, sure. So we open Forbidden Planet on our faster than light ship, and we kind of are meeting our crew. And you had actually pointed out that there's a it's sort of unique how this ship was designed. The ship was kind of set up to be like a navy ship. So you have to remember, 1956 was 10 years after World War II ended, mm -hmm. and the navy played a big, big role in it. So the the way the ship is presented, it's just like a crew of a of a navy ship. There's a captain. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what is his name? John Adam. Yeah, John J. Adams, the the most generic white man, the first man produced by the generic white man factory. Uh, <laughs> As an aside, he's played by Leslie Nielsen. You know, Leslie Nielsen, who Caroline doesn't quite remember, but is a <laughs> comedic actor who appeared in many uh, movies uh, like The Airplane, Airplane One, Two, whatever, uh, and uh, Naked Gun, and mm. a whole bunch of other very funny movies. You probably remember him from these movies as this older, white-haired man. You know. Yeah, I think actually after we watched it, I had looked it up and I did recognize him. I think it's not him that's the problem. It's the character, like the way the character right. is written. John, right. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's John J. Adams, right. which is just hilarious. It's a it's a combination of John J. and John Adams, and just uh, and I'm John J. and John Adams would have hated that. And I just it's very it's very funny to me. And they could have they the, it could have only been worse if they didn't like John Johnson. <laughs> right. So but I, then, that's interesting that it was set up like a navy ship following World War II because you would think the inclination would be to set it up more like a like an air force. I mean, the air you know since planes were well, also a big role. That, that's World an old uh, kind of argument when people tell talk about differences between Star Wars and Star Trek. Right. Star Trek is all navy and and Star Wars is all air force, but a lot of the elements in this movie reappeared in Star Trek, right? So there's a captain, mm -hmm. um, there is a first officer whose name, Jerry, Jerry Farman is his name. Mm -hmm. There's a doctor, of course, who has you know, made plenty of feelings and... and, and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, yes, you could definitely see the, the, the repercussions of, uh, or the, the ripple effects of this movie into what would become Star Trek later on. There's a cook who's uh, very much like a cook on a World War II movie with the, where he's uh, like the comic relief character. and he He's got like a little trouble. apron. He's always wearing an apron. <laughs> right. Well, he's cooking, right? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, anyway, so they arrived at this, the ship arrives in the orbit around the planet. And mm -hmm. the reason they're there is because they would, there was a bunch of colonists sent out to to live on this planet. I haven't heard from them. So they wanted to check out what was going on. Mm -hmm. So when they get to the planet, they uh, contact the ship and have this big, big microphone. It's just kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and they contact and they have this warning don't land here go away mm-hmm. we you know we are fine go away mm-hmm. you you put yourself in danger as if you land and they're like no nah, we got to the plot you gotta let us and land. <laughs> they say we are manly men from the navy. Therefore, we're going mm-hmm. to land. We have our orders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, they land. The planet's named Altair. Altair, yeah. And they land and uh, discover. And it's really cool, like the scenery that they do and stuff like that. Right. I, I mean, the effects they, were know, quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, especially uh, the given the time period. Yeah. Yeah. They land and they discover that uh oh, <laughs> all well, the colonists so, are dead. Well, wait, wait, you're jumping ahead, right? So they land, mm-hmm. they get out, and they kind of, this is like a desert kind of a mm-hmm. landscape and some rocks, and, and all of a sudden see this dust cloud coming towards them. Oh, yes. Remember that? Yes, yes. And who's in the dust cloud? Well, there's this car driven by this robot whose name is Robbie. And, Robbie the robot. This <laughs> is so cute. I love it. And um, Dr. Morbius was the, the the scientist from the uh, colonists and Dr. Morbius young... I, I wonder if this story is going to involve something with dreams and the subconscious huh <laughs> that I would have never thought such a thing why why would you say that <laughs> I don't I just had a, I had a vision I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this rather pretty young girl wearing a mini skirt Yes, so they get in this little car with this little robot, and they zip over to this lovely home. Really right. nice, so, so, so open they, concept they, kitchen. You know, it's a good, it's well, a good you know, the, layout. The, the the captain says we need to find out what's going on. We can't just leave. So Morbius invites him over. So they happen to right. this car, him and Jerry, the first officer, or yeah. Riker, his Riker, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> captain Kirk and and Riker in this crossover well, go into this. <laughs> So, yes, they meet the girl in the miniskirt whose name is Altera, named after the planet because she was born there. And Dr. Morbius very quickly tells us she, her mother died of natural causes, hand wave that away. And she was born here. She's known no other life, et cetera. And um, the reason all the other colonists are dead is because there's a, a mysterious invisible monster that came and killed everyone, but for them. For and some reason, spared for, them. Yeah. It spared them, and that's why he's like, you can't stay here because you're very unsafe. But the captain and the first officer are like, but your daughter's so hot, though. <laughs> well, especially the first officer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so what has So they meet, they meet Altera, and th- this movie is a very interesting in a science fiction way, but it's so unfortunate the way that, like, just, mo- I guess, movies at that time in general, like, women are portrayed because she's got no, I mean, there's no character to Altera. She's just there to be like pretty. That's it. And she fulfills, well, I think we talked about it. She fulfills the trope uh, born sexy yesterday. Right. Which is a, a trope. It's very common in science fiction of women who are adults. So you can have sex with them. It's, it's safe and legal to do that. But for whatever reason, they're extraordinarily naive and they don't know about romance or love or sexuality or anything and you need to teach them you you the the generic main character the generic male main character gets to teach them about it i think the the main one of the characters in the fifth element is like the standard picture for that uh but altera absolutely fulfills that trope well and the whole movie the whole movie she's just like what's going on what's a kiss 
I don't, what's wrong with my clothing? I'm swimming naked. So what, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that the, the first officer is all hot for her, whereas the captain tries to be a little bit more proper, mm-hmm. even though yeah. he knows he's kind of competing. Yeah, all the guys immediately are like, oh, my God, a woman. We're all competing for like. Well, which is women. again, this is very navy kind of a thing. Back in World War Two, navy ships were just men, so yeah. whenever they came to port and saw a woman, they went, you know, googly uh, well, eyes. This is a good point to make a comparison to the Tempest because the exact same thing happens in the Tempest, where when Prince Ferdinand first arrives on the island, he sees Miranda, and they're immediately in love, and they're That's like, right. "Oh my god, we're so in love!" And I'm like, "Stop it! I'm like, you children, you don't. What are you talking about?" So anyway, that's what happens with Altera. And uh, what's the next thing that happens in Forbidden So next thing I think uh, Morbius explains a little bit, uh, shows them technology that was left by the the Krell, the the, the race that is gone. Mm -hmm. right? And he says he's been studying it, trying to figure out what it does, but he doesn't really know. Right. And he would like to continue to study. Please leave me alone. Go away. Yes. Um, and so, I love I love the science fiction concept of an ancient civilization that was there. You're trying to figure out what ha- you know what happened. I love that concept. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Actually, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast before. I think I've told this to you before. My best friend's a like a history buff. She knows a lot about history. And she told me about the dark ages in Europe and she said in certain places in Europe they lost literacy for like a few generations people couldn't read. And so there were generations of people who didn't know how to read, but were like living amongst like Roman ruins, for example. So they were just like kind of in that circumstance. So they were living amongst ruins that nobody had an explanation for and no one knew how they had gotten there. They just were. And I think that's so fascinating. Like, can you imagine just like going on a hike in the woods and there's just like a monument and you're like, that's weird. And you just keep going. Like that's, I, I think that's so, such a good science fiction concept. It's one of the things I love about Forbidden Planet is like this tech that's left behind that they're kind of messing with. They said, well, okay, we'll come back tomorrow for dinner. We'll talk some more. And mm-hmm. so they go back to the ship and they all go to sleep. Right. And remember they have hammocks again, just like on a <laughs> small ship, Navy ship. And, uh, yes. And, and that's this- when the, the invisible creature comes. Right. And I think does it actually I think they have a guard standing outside and mm-hmm. does it kill yeah, the guard? Have, um I forget if it kills anyone the first night. I think it might just mess up. I don't no, I think it just walks past the yeah. guard. Because yeah. they talk to him, says, Didn't you see somebody coming? He says, No, nobody, I didn't see anybody. Right. So exactly. this invisible creature comes in. Oh, it sabotages the ship, so the ship can't sabotage the That's ship. That's what it does. Yes, we, the invisible creature comes in and does that, and and the and the plot thickens. So then they go back to Mobius to kind of discuss this, and uh, he maybe that's when he throws them the machine. There's some underground machine mm-hmm. with all these dials that show yeah. you how much power is being used. So there's these two, there's two really cool science fiction things they they show from the Krell. One is that there are these machines underground. They say it's like 20 square miles worth of underground machinery. It's like a huge section. Actually, they have a, remember they have a scene where they actually, they go walk to see it. Yeah. And and you can see. It's so cool. Yeah. 
you can like look down and see like the 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 shafts i guess of, of technology yeah, just go go down like forever and it's yeah. such a cool such a cool concept also a cool concept is like building machines into the earth i love it so they there's like these machines that are there and which makes it all the more mysterious the krell are no longer there because they made all this so what happened and the other cool machine is the brain machine right and uh, he i think he demonstrates that to them mm-hmm. to show them how it boosts your intellect or something oh yeah it's like it it's a machine that's supposed to like make you way smarter and right. he said he used it and barely survived but he did survive and now his research is like right Super he's using he, he knows how to use it he can control it so therefore yeah. they they should uh but they should not try it i think the doctor tries it somebody does try it at some point and then they die well that's towards the end that's a doctor at the end yeah. of the movie but when he figures out what it's doing right um, exactly <laughs> yeah so morbius is like i can definitely control this fancy alien technology no worries don't touch it uh, but we're good. <laughs> so you guys can leave. And they're like, we can't because the ship can't take off. Ah! So now they're kind of like working on doing like repairs and stuff. Oh, and, and throughout this, we have interactions with Robbie the robot. And we learn something right. about Robbie's so, functionality. So they explain that Robbie uh, is, um, first of all, it's programmed not to be able to hurt people, right? Yes. So this is uh, Asimov's uh, first law of robotics. Yes. <laughs> And in, in fact, he demonstrates. It's like you know, he gives him a gun and says, "Shoot, shoot me or something." And 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 Robbie goes, "Ah, I can't do this." And and right. sparks start flying. But Robbie can also manufacture all kinds of things. Like you ask him to make something, and just, something whirls, gate opens, and its belly, and it takes out the thing. Yes, it's kind of like an early replicator, I suppose. Yeah, it is kind of like a replicator. I didn't think of that. It is. It's exactly like that. And the cook, our comic relief cook, is there uh, having Robbie produce what, like whiskey? Whiskey. Or... Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's a whole scene on the side where you know he convinces uh, Robbie to make all this whiskey for him <laughs> because he has a he tries to be buddies with him, so he gives him a little bit of whiskey to try. And then Robbie just produces this whole bunch of it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and he gets drunk. You know, he they, they kind of both sit together and, and the cook gets drunk. Yes. And while this is going on, also the scenes with um, the captain and Altera and their kind of... Well, first, uh, the, the first officer tries to kind of move the in first... on Altera yeah, really quickly. Yeah, the first officer kisses her, yeah, like immediately, right. more or less. And, and the then, captain you know, is like, how dare you do this? No, no, no. Remember what happened was, no, so he kisses her. And then uh, Altera talks to him and she mentions the kissing. She says, oh, mm-hmm. he did this funny thing. Let me show you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was very good. So he so kind of yells, yells at, at, at Jerry. Yeah. And then the cap, but the cap's like, how dare you do such a thing? And then the captain starts moving in on Altera too. Yes, yeah, um, I saw her first, yeah. Yeah, but he's like, you should wear things more modest because you're you're too attractive in your mini skirts. And she's like, okay, I'll wear a slightly more covering space dress, and then she does. And there's some interesting things that happen. Um, there's like a, the tiger incident. Remember the right. tiger? Right. So apparently, Altera has all these pets, which mm-hmm. are like wild animals. Which I think Morbius explained how they got them there, but basically, you know. She could like feed them from 
and stuff. Yeah, she's like and, a Disney princess. The animals are all good with her. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but when um, the captain was with her, the tiger all of a sudden decides to attack mm -hmm. and he shoots him with his uh, phaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He, he disintegrates him with his gun. <laughs> right. So, in the middle of a jump. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Let's put a pin in that and come back to that when we're talking about the story. Because I don't entirely understand that. But I, hmm. let's let's finish talking about the plot. So then there's the next night. Uh, and this time they say, well, there's probably something coming. So let's put a force field around the ship. Right. And have set up some guns and things to make sure that whatever attacked us last time can get through. Right. Right. And this is, and again, something comes. Something wicked this way comes mm. uh, at <laughs> night, and they hear these footsteps, and you can see these huge prints in the mm -hmm. in the sand. And when it gets to the force field, the force field lights it up, and they can, can see this kind of huge monster. It looks it always reminded me of of uh, like Tasmanian Devil from Bugs Bunny. It does kind of look like the Tasmanian Devil from. You're absolutely right. It, it's like it's big and hulking, and yeah, it does. And the, the guys are all like, oh, Lord, like, oh, no. Well, and they also start shooting at it, right? And I think one or two of them get too close. Maybe the first officer and, and the thing smacks them and kills them. Right. So, so we have our first like deaths. Yeah. A couple of deaths. And then they're like, oh, And then it goes oh, yeah. away. And then yeah. it <laughs> ends up, up going away. So now they're in a tough spot because their ship is disabled. So they can't take off. And they're getting attacked by this monster at night. And they figure it's going to keep coming back because they read their Beowulf and they know that it's going <laughs> to keep, keep coming. <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, the guy who's Scotty says, okay, I can, I can disassemble this piece here so I can plug in that thing there and I can rebuild that part and then we can be able to go again. It'll yeah. give, take, take, take me a day or so. <laughs> yeah, then I, then I can beam us up. It's good. It's good. <laughs> So then they go back for like the final scene at, at Morbius's house, right? Uh, so um, part of it's that Morbius has like an office that they weren't allowed into. Right. So they get there yeah. after this attack, in, I guess in the morning, and they want to talk to him. They, I guess, break into the office and they realize he's going down to the lab where the thing is. So just mine. before this, I think the, the doctor figures out what's going on. Not right? quite. So Not quite. Is it after this? Okay. So they're, they're there and uh, they're telling uh, Altera, we're going to take you from here. We're leaving. And, and all of a sudden you hear the monster coming. Mm -hmm. Right. And the house has like a shutters around. So like, like a oh, yeah, like shield, like the shields come down. Yeah. Like metal, yeah. like actual physical metal come down over yeah. the windows. And they escape inside the office. They grab Borbius and get inside. No, I think Morbius comes out, right? And he, he's having discussion with Captain and, and, and Altera. And Captain says, we're taking him away. He says, no, or some such. Meanwhile, the doctor sneaks into the lab and puts right. on the uh, mind thing, the hat, to make his, him smarter. Mm -hmm. And turns the machine partially on. And he finally gets what's happening. He comes out kind of dying. But he says, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. And he says... It's the monsters of the id, mm -hmm. right? And they don't quite get it right away. 
Yeah. The captain's like, I'm a captain, not a doctor. What do you mean? <laughs> I am a captain. I'm not a Freudian psychologist. <laughs> but then they hear the monster coming, right? So mm -hmm. they see the monsters break. You know, the, the shutters go close, but the monster seems to be able to break through them. So they run through the lab behind this, like, super thick steel door. Mm -hmm. um, or you know titanium or, or whatever whatever science fiction metal is uh, it was from. it was unobtainium dad obviously oh, un <laughs> uh, obviously <laughs> <laughs> but the monster keeps coming and you can slowly see how it's trying to break the door and the door starts glowing red and red mm -hmm. and then um, they see all the machines like all the dials are like all the way out Yes, that was something that the like the energy machines are right, like freaking out while the, while right, the monsters producing around, maximum yes. energy, and uh, then the captain finally realized what uh, what the doctor meant. He said to the more to Mobius, "It's you who's doing this. It's mm -hmm. your mind. It's your id that mm -hmm. that's amplified by this machine. And you, I guess, you're trying to protect your daughter, so you're killing anything around." And mm -hmm. he kind of freaks out. That's, I think he puts on the helmet and, and tries to he stop could, it. He confronts the monster. He he confronts oh, the right. physical manifestation of his own id. Oh, isn't right. it so deep and meaningful? And, and it he, kills him. Yeah, basically. Oh, that's so... We love it. We love to see it. But the monster uh, goes away. Right. So uh, when he dies, the monster goes away. And yeah. so Captain grabs uh, Altera. And they go back to the ship. Kevin grabs Altera and says, I'm going to kidnap you now. <laughs> and takes her. I oh, can't leave you here by yourself. <laughs> so, what's interesting about it is like, so basically what was happening was that because Dr. Morbius had used the machine, he had tapped into like a technology that allowed his subconscious to project stuff. To manifest and, itself. Yeah, yeah. Right, to manifest itself uncontrolled by him. So, this is actually the scene earlier. I think the reason the monster disappears the first time is because Altera goes and wakes him up and says like, Oh, they're being attacked. And he wakes up. And when he wakes up, the monster disappears. So you mm -hmm. kind of get these hints throughout the movie right. that there's a connection between the two. I forget in the movie, if he uses that power to manifest other things. And the reason I was mentioned the tiger before was I wasn't sure if he manifested the tiger because the tiger attacks when the, when the captain and Altera are like starting to like kiss. Oh, interesting. I didn't think about it. That would be an interesting explanation, you know, but the tigers seem to be there. I don't know. I mean, it could, I, there's nothing to say that a manifestation of the id can't be phased away, just that that big one couldn't. But, right. You know, or, or, or if, it was, if it was a conscious manifestation of the id, if he was awake doing it. Well, if it was conscious, know. then it wasn't the id, but you're right. It, or whatever, was... you know. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of thought that's interesting. Where we're going. Oh, I, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I kind of thought that because especially going into the movie, you had told me it was based on the Tempest, so I was kind of expecting Doctor Morbius to be like magic. If he was using that technology in that way, then he would kind of have wizard powers, right? Right. That have gone out of control. Right. But it's not. I don't think it's really clear in the movie if if that is what's happening. Right. Because how else do you understand the tiger? Right, and there were some other animals there, right? Uh, you saw, but attacking at that time, right? Because Altera notes she says specifically in the dialogue, he's like he's never done that before, like he's never right. So yeah, it's... so actually, that's a good theory, is what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, 
Uh, so yeah, so then they take Altera and Escape off of... And they take Robbie as well. They do take Robbie. So they loot the planet and leave. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they don't just leave the planet alone when they leave. They blow up Altair 4 because they say uh, humanity is not ready to have this technology. Oh, did they blow it up? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Don't, I remember them blowing it up. I can I can double check where we are committed to we're committed to accuracy. Um, I'll read the Wikipedia articles. Before he dies, he has Adams activate a planetary self destruct system All where right, they must right. be far away. Yeah, yep. yeah. See, I do my research. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a good movie. I mean, what do you think? I thought it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I mean, I've seen it a number of times, and uh, the monsters of the air is kind of cool. Right, that's I, like very I unexpected. Say, yeah, I love. I think the concepts age really well. I think the technology ideas age really well. The fact that it, you know the base plot is based on something rather classic, like the Tempest, is helpful because I think when you're trying to introduce your audience, particularly an audience at that time that isn't as familiar with science fiction, you're trying to introduce your audience to these kind of complicated science fiction mumbo jumbo concepts putting those concepts onto like a familiar frame makes it more palatable. You know, like it's easy. Like we already know the story of like discovering people who've been marooned. Like that's a story that's been repeated, Right. but you give it this sort of new skin with, and here's a science fiction version, which really, you know, amps up the story in a lot of ways and makes it more digestible. I think I will, however, say that, the filming of it does not age well, unfortunately. Yeah, not- so that was an interesting thing that you said when you were watching it about mm-hmm. the shots. So it felt more like a play, right, than than the movie. Yeah. As we yeah. use movies today. Because there wasn't a lot of shot reverse shots. So shot reverse shots in, in movies when like one person's talking and you see just like their face and then you respond to the other one and the other you see the other person's face. That's called shot reverse shot. And it's so ubiquitous in the way we watch TV and movies now that it's like you don't even notice that it's happening. But that didn't used to be the way they filmed. So it kind of like this was like it was like a play where it's like the camera was in one spot and people were sort of moving within the plane in front of it. But the camera stayed fixed as a modern viewer. It it got boring to watch because the camera was fixed. And it's just an issue of the visual not changing enough. And I, I mean these damn kids with their visuals, you know, like the nowadays with movies and stuff, we have so much color and vibrance and movement and dynamics no, and sound and all this. It's stuff. a play. Yeah. It was like a play. <laughs> it really was. So it was interesting to see that. And I'm just so disappointed in the writing for Altera. I really am. <laughs> so in like... your notes said something about uh, Altera loses her life so far. What, what do you mean? So this is a common thing that happens in fiction prior to like modern fiction um, and uh, except counting fiction that, that women write. Uh, women tend to write women historically pretty well. This, this thing where the female character is there to be the love interest and the fact that her entire life is upended is not even like mentioned. And this is true in Forbidden Planet and in The Tempest. In, uh, in The Tempest, Miranda has lived her whole life on this island. It's her home. It's where right. it's where she lives. It's her it's That's her all she only knows. home. And the happy ending is that she's taken away from there. She never expresses wanting to leave. You know, it's this is not like a 
like in Disney's Tangled, which is a retelling of Rapunzel, Rapunzel wants to leave the tower. She desires adventure. And that's like, she, she sings about it explicitly in the opening number. Like she wants to go. But Altera never talks about wanting to leave the planet. Altera never even considers that she can leave the planet. And Miranda never talks about leaving the island. So it's like, you could very easily make that ending a happy ending for their characters by having them express that desire for adventure or for change that neither of them do. And it's well, unfortunate because it's so easy to put it in. It's so easy to put it into the script. And it's like there, you know, Altera loses her father and her home in one day. And it's a happy ending because she gets to go back to earth with the hot captain. That's not really fair to Altera. You've just ruined everything for her. She's got all, all of her, all of her things, all of her memories, everything. Her mother's grave was on that planet, you know, like YOLO. Uh, and Miranda is the same thing. Miranda's no, what does Miranda think? Ask no one ever. So it's one of the ways in which like a female character as a romantic interest is used as an object in a story, as opposed to an actor in a story. And it's a small change that could completely change the role of that character. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so let's talk about Tempest. So, Yes. So The Tempest. I, the Tempest actually might be my favorite Shakespeare play. I would have to go back and think about the, all of them. Cause, yeah, uh, mom likes it too. She said it's a favorite. Because oh, really? it has a happy ending. It's, it's oh, all happy, happy. Um, Hamlet, Hamlet might, be my, might be my favorite because it's mm. dark and, and moody. But Tempest is, a, is my, probably my favorite of the comedies. Um, it's not a comedy. I mean, well, it, it's a comedy. It's sort of, slightly. Shakespeare's comedies, whenever someone gets married at the end, it's a comedy. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so for, for our listeners to understand, um, uh, my mother, uh, father, I don't know if you know this about your wife, my mother. Um, she's read all of the Shakespeare plays and she Many knows times. them like inside out and backwards. The funny and, part was her, her master's thesis was on, on uh, daughters, fathers and daughters in Shakespeare. So Yes, yes. <laughs> and, oh, that's right. I forgot about King Lear. King Lear is one of my favorites too. So. Yeah. I'm not a big Shakespeare fan, but I've read a lot of his plays because I was an English major, so they make you. And I like, I've always liked The Tempest because of the magical element. And basically what happens in The Tempest is, oh no, there is a Tempest. And a ship that has a whole bunch of really important political figures crashes. And thank God they all survive and wash up on this island. And I forget everybody's names. It's like... uh We've got... Uh, well, the, the important ones are, are you know, uh, Ferdinand is the prince, Alonso is the king of Naples, Sebastian right. is his brother, Antonio is Prospero's bad brother. Uh, mm -hmm. There is Stefano Trinculo, who are the comic relief characters. Uh, mm -hmm. There is... Um, who's Ariel's the guy who's really... There, there's one guy who was good, Gonzalo. Yes, Gonzalo. He, Ariel's he, the magical the... sprite, and, uh, and Caliban is the bad... Caliban is Caliban. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Prospero and Miranda. So Prospero yeah. fulfills the role of Dr. Morbius, basically. Right. He's the magic, but he's like literally magic. Right. He's literally a wizard. And so when, when the play begins, he actually, Miranda is getting to her teenage years. And, and he says, you have to kind of understand how all this came about. Why are we here? Mm -hmm. and, and he, he tells talks, her, we had some political sabotage happen. And, and uh, we are set in a boat, 
Mm -hmm. And you were just a little baby and I just had you. And this guy, Gonzalo, actually gave us, you know, food and and supplies so that we survived the voyage and we wound up on this island. Right. And so, like, I was this really important political guy with lots of power. And then... He was a duke. Duke of Milan. Duke of Milan, yes. And she's like, whoa, that's awesome. And he's like, yeah. So there's that ship in the water. I wonder, wonder who, wonder who's there. <laughs> well, the, the the one kind of interesting thing about the the island when they arrived on the island, uh, there was a witch there. Yeah, oh, I a wanted bad to talk witch. about this. Yeah, Prosper uh, what, mentions her a couple times. What what is her name? She was uh, Caliban's mother. Yes, yeah, I don't think he names her. I don't think the witch. Yes, no, name. she does. Xerorax oh, or something. Yeah, oh, it was a weird name. Yeah, it was yeah. a weird name. I forget what it was. But yeah, she was Caliban's mother, and. Prospero like steals the magic from her in some fashion and enslaves, I think he kills her and enslaves Caliban. Sycorax. Sycorax, yes, yes. Right, so Sycorax was the mother and uh, so he kind of gets rid of her and he, he at first he adapts Caliban. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And, and he also frees Ariel. Ariel was a sprite that the witch in, in, in prison inside a tree. Yeah. So Prospero, well, so what I think Prospero came to the island with some books. One of the reasons he got in trouble as a Duke of Milan, because he, he was bookish. He wanted mm-hmm. to sit in his room and read. He didn't <laughs> want to govern and all that politics <laughs> stuff. All I wanted was read some books. Leave me alone. <laughs> I just want to play my video games, mom. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yes. that's how he knew magic. So he had a book with like magic spells and stuff. And, um, so he freed Ariel, he adapted Caliban, and he gave ta- Caliban language, right? He taught him yes. how to speak. But uh, unfortunately, what happened with Caliban, Miranda happened. So Miranda started getting oh. bigger and bigger and bigger. And Miranda's just of... too pretty for Caliban. It's just, just ruining everything. And, These women coming in being too pretty. tried to uh, make little Calibans with her, mm-hmm. and uh, that Prospero got rather upset. Yes. <laughs> and he enslaved him, so... It's funny because he he had some kind of spell that would pinch Caliban. He always complained mm-hmm. about being pinched. Yes. <laughs> so oh, Caliban became his, his slave and he had to like do everything. Mm-hmm. So talking about Caliban and Ariel, because Ariel's also uh, owned by Prospero. Ariel spends the whole time asking for freedom and is ultimately freed. That's kind of like Robbie, you know, having a servant. You know, the kind of concept that, like, if you're alone in an island, you kind of need servants. Yeah, but I think um, I think Robbie is more like Caliban, especially when he gets drunk. Yeah. So remember, there's a whole whole scene where Caliban gets drunk with uh, uh, Stefano and Trinculo. Yes. And, and it's very funny scenes, and it's very much like Robbie and the cook. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I would list him more as a Caliban. He, I, I mean, Robbie isn't as characterized as Caliban, obviously. Uh, so you don't have the same, the same like history. But the the whole thing of Prospero giving Caliban language, sort of making Caliban as he is, Doctor Morbius made, made Robbie, Robbie as he is. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good parallel. <laughs> I thought Ariel was like the Krill technology. It's it's the magic that that. Uh, yeah. So that was except- one thing I put. That's one thing I put in my notes was like the comparison of magic to technology and like something we talk about a lot is like, what is science fiction? What makes something science fiction is the Tempest not 
a science fiction story for its time. You know, it's got advanced technology in the way they could imagine it. Right. Which is magic. Right. You know, they didn't have, you know, thoughts about like electricity leading to, you know, technology, quote unquote, in the way we think about it. They thought about things as magical. So it was advanced magic. See, everything is science fiction. So then, of course, Ferdinand, Ferdinand and Miranda meet and sparks And they fly. fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I don't know if this works for some people. I would love to get mom's opinion on this. Uh, she loves that story. I'm sure she does. <laughs> I, I'm so not sold by love at first sight stories because I'm just like, there, there's a difference between like being emotionally in love with someone and like being attracted to them, you know, and they just kind of seem to like fold both together. They're basically, yeah, like, they're well, both I mean, hot it, and... it starts that way, you know, and then you, know, <laughs> you go from there. So, yeah, they immediately fall in love, even though they have like they, they literally have nothing in common with each other other than they're both present on the island and of about the same age. And Miranda's never seen another man, so she doesn't well, know what other they than look... Caliban, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> She doesn't know what they look like. So various shenanigans ensue. There's like a lot of stuff happens with the other characters. There's like plots to kill King Alonzo and um, right, right. The the okay. the two bad guys, Ant- Antonio and Sebastian, right. They kind of try to plot, but uh, Prospero using Ariel kind of interferes in the plots mm-hmm. and and because Prospero's what Prospero's trying to do this whole time is make. So these are the these are the men who betrayed him, that dethroned him. He's trying to make them feel bad about it, so that when he reveals himself, they'll apologize. Right. That's what he's trying to. It's all he's trying to do. The poor man just wants an apology, and he wants to return to his seat. So he's he's messing with them more or less in various magical ways right. to get them to do that. Funny, Caliban is trying to get his two friends who gave him alcohol to come and kill Prospero so he can get his island back. Yes. <laughs> and he promises him all this stuff. And meanwhile, you know, Ariel is around. I keep saying she, but because I think Ariel is she, but I think, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember if he refers to her, to, to Ariel as he or she. Ariel the Sprite is male. Uh, yeah, the Sprite is Ariel is male. Yeah. the na- I think the name Ariel, so Ariel, the name in Shakespeare came from the fact that it was like air. Like air, like Ariel. That was kind of the source. It's also a Jewish name, um, Ariel. It's 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 a it's a men's name. Yeah. So I, I think that's one of those names. Like the, the name Ashley used to be a man's name, and it's tra- transitioned now to be a girl's name. I think Ariel's the same thing. But also, gender is a construct. So you know, whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Can that I kind of it? darkness. Can I say it every episode? Gender is a construct. <laughs> So yeah, it's kind of cute. Well, Ariel kind of messes with them uh, in a few different ways. It's, but it's funny. It's meant it's a comedy. There's like some funny scenes, right? Uh, and ultimately, the, the the two the two guys who who went with Caliban wind up in the inside falling into a latrine essentially. Yes. At the very end. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> so then Miranda and Ferdinand are like, we've known each other for three hours, and let's get married. We're in love. Let's get married. And Prospero is like, this is a good idea because Prospero is like, well, well, he was pretending that it wasn't at first, right? right? He was like, no, certainly this could never happen. And they're like, we must be together. 
But but Prospero's like, okay, okay, this is what's going to happen. She is my daughter, so she's uh, inheriting Milan. He's the prince of Naples. If they get married, this brings the two pol- political unit things together. It's a unity kind of thing. Great idea. Also, they have to let me come back if she's getting married to him. So the, just like There's clever, a funny clever. part that like when he talks to them about the marriage, he essentially tells Ferdinand, but keep it in your pants. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so because it's not going to happen. He's like, if you break her virgin knot. <laughs> yeah. A horrible <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> but he's like, no, um, absolutely. I cherish her always. I'm like, but what's her middle name, dude? Like, do you know anything about her? <laughs> so uh, ultimately what happens is that they all kind of end up at one spot and Prospero reveals himself and King Alonzo immediately throws himself at Prospero's feet and apologizes for like the treason that they did. And they forgives Antonio, his brother. Yeah. He walks around and and forgives everybody one at a time. And then he's like, because King Alonzo this whole time thought Ferdinand was dead. He thought he drowned. Right. And Prospero's like, guess what I have? (laughs) (laughs) right he shows them playing chess yes yes oh we should Um, mention we both watched the bbc version of it and it was good it was well done well Uh, long 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 time ago i saw performance of the tempest done in the style of kabuki japanese kabuki theater oh interesting so you know like i I still remember the ariel as this japanese very stylish geisha Mm -hmm. kind of a character oh um, that's interesting where did you see that brooklyn college oh. we saw it live that's cool that's, that's a really, I, I like that how people reinterpret stuff like that um so the the important thing that happens in uh, the tempest is that throughout the play ariel keeps saying when are you gonna set me free when are you gonna set me free because mm-hmm. prosper promised ariel that this she, she has to do this one thing for him when it's all done he she can be free yes Oh, he can be free. Gen- can yeah, be free. Gender, gender, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so Prospero does release Ariel and the magic of the island. He releases it all. Right, and he basically gives up magic when he leaves yeah. the island. And they get married and he the al- they also they also give, uh, well, they don't get married in a play, but they, the implication is that they're going to get married. Yeah. And he asks Ariel for favorable wins so they can make it to back to Naples and mm-hmm. to Milan. And he gives the island back to Caliban. I thought Caliban was done wrong by the story. I thought he was like he was like seen as like the bad guy, but like only because he like looked ugly. Like, well, his mother was a witch, and he tried to rape Miranda. So, but other than that, he was a fine character. I wasn't sure if he tried to rape Miranda or if he was just like coming on to Miranda. It was unclear to me. If he yeah. tried to rape Miranda, it's different than you know he just became interested in her. You know, that obviously that one, one would be much worse than the other and make him villainous. So I, I wasn't sure. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting parallels. Obviously, the thing that's missing from the Tempest that is in Forbidden Planet is the monster attacking. Right. There's no there's no death in the Tempest. Well, there's no death. There's the Tempest. So that's kind of the big monster attack in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. But nobody nobody dies. It's not... It's that that recurrent monster visiting the village thing that mm-hmm. that we do in like lots of stories. That's right. not in the Tempest. So it's like they took the core concepts of the Tempest: father daughter trapped on mar- marooned somewhere. Right. 
people from the outside coming, romance plot, etc. But they added the, you know, the violence and the and the danger of the monster coming at night kind of thing, and and really beautifully tied them together in a neat, neat little science fiction yeah. way. So you notice that um, the Tempest has the line at the very end when Miranda says, "Oh, brave new world." <laughs> Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. Right, which is it, where it's that often, phrase comes from. Yeah, it's off. That phrase is often um, misquoted as being from when she first sees Ferdinand. Right, that's, that's what I thought. That's not yeah. what it's from. No, it's from when she first sees the entire party of men. So she's seen Ferdinand. So she saw Ferdinand and thought, "Cool." But she saw all these other dudes. And well, she, she went, saw wow. two, two guys. Read this. She knew Caliban, her father. And Ferdinand was just wow, yeah, sensory overload. And then all of a yeah, sudden, all these the guys show up. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "This seems like a good." I, I, I wonder. I'm sure there's analysis of this online. Why Brave New World is titled that based on that line? Oh no, that's because remember, um, John Savage. The only book he had was all the Shakespeare's plays. Oh right, right. And yes. he said the same thing when he arrived. Out of his wilderness in in the city, he said, "Yeah, oh, brave new world." But why that line? Shakespeare has Shakespeare has plenty of lines like that in lots of plays. Well, but you know, he was. I uh, guess that's kind of the same thing coming from isolation into right. the, the civilization. Okay, I can see it. I make I I withdraw my complaint. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought uh, a theme that was kind of kind of present a little bit was self destruction. In both more, maybe more so in Forbidden Planet. So, the fact that Doctor Morbius was his own destruction, mm-hmm. without knowing it, you know, the subconscious self self destruction of like his the people, all the right. people he lived with, and Prospero, Prospero also sort of being his own destruction. Like you were mentioning, like that he was Duke of Milan, but he he was like problematic, so people wanted to right. overthrow him. Um, it's kind of present. It's not a very strong theme, but I think it's um, I think it's an interesting science fiction thing to explore. Of like, because like we talk, you could talk about people and self destruction and their behaviors and how like they mess stuff up at work or they mess stuff up in relationships or whatever. But like in a science fiction contest context, Doctor Morbius literally self destructed. Like he literally right. like with his science fiction brain. Well, Killed. just murdered everyone. In the Tempest, Prospero kind of gives up his magic at the end, right? So he that that's kind of a big thing. He breaks his staff, and he I don't know what he does with his book. And there's a speech at the end. He kind of talks about his death, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why you said why Shakespeare was talking about uh, that his last play and tell people to leave me alone or some such. <laughs> so so in that way, it was similar to the ending of. Forbidden Planet, except Forbidden Planet, Morbius dies, and he prospers as well. Look, I'm old. I'm going to die soon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it definitely has that that uh, similarity. Oh, and the other thing too, we kind of touched on this. We were talking about in Forbidden Planet, the Krell, and kind of the ancient civilization. Mm-hmm. There was also an ancient civilization on the island because there's the witch and her son, and their right. magic. You know, right. there was there was a society there. The, that... Yeah, Sycorax, uh, Caliban, and Ariel. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't know what else was there. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a there are people 
living there, that that was their home. And, you know, then our main characters come in and kind of mess around with it. <laughs> and they're kind of like, cool, neat. I'm going to touch it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I think, I think Prospero specifically says he killed Sycorax, right? I don't remember, but probably, yeah. Yeah. See, unlike, unlike you and mom, I really can't read Shakespeare because it's just too hard for me. But I love to watch the plays. It's like because watching people do like play it out and stuff like that makes it much much easier to understand, for sure. I haven't read I haven't read a lot of Shakespeare in a long time. Again, they made me do it. They made me do it in college and memorize passages. That's not imagine, so bad. Imagine memorizing passages. What do you think about the whole in both stories, like the love at first sight, like the two of them, the two characters meet and then, and they're just in love with each other. Uh, I was more into that kind of stuff when I was younger because uh, I could imagine it. And uh, very often there's like, can be instant attraction between people. There's the right, just right chemistry. As I get old, I don't, you know, remember that that much, but yeah, I, I, they didn't portray it very well or very, I mean, the, it's just a movie and a play, right? So you have to, things have to happen fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I, I'm the same way. When I was younger, I bought into Love at First Sight very easily. There was a lot of like Disney movies that had that. Almost all the princess movies had that. A lot of kids movies have like, there's a love interest kind of thing. But as I've gotten older and more critical, particularly like more media critical, like the fact that you, you could there's ways to write an actual romance into your plot that doesn't take very much time, you know? And... I'm spoiled because I read Jane Austen. So, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> so she does that right. And, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting. Cause like, I think about, I think about modern movies, like I'm a big frozen one and frozen two fan and the relationship between Anna and Kristoff in those movies is really well explicated for our two relatively short children's movies. And it's like, if you, if they can do it, <laughs> if they can find a way to do it, like there's a way, there's a way to put it in where you're not taking up very much like page. True. Space. But um, on the other hand, uh, this is the kind of story that everybody relates to. It's so, so universal. You don't really have to necessarily explain it. It's just, you know, a young girl and a young guy, on an island or planet or something, of course. You know. <laughs> and Forbidden Planet, it was uh, also all this Navy stuff. Like, have you ever watched musical South Pacific? Yeah, I've seen that there, a long time ago, yeah. I mean, you know, there is a big number about sailor singing, you know, there's nothing like a dame, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of gay shit happening on those sh ships too. <laughs> yes, but I mean, you know, no, no gender, just... gender is a social construct. Yeah, right? gender so, is exactly. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I think we pretty thoroughly analyzed both. I think this was a great, this was your idea. This was a great idea doing these two together. I think it's really yeah, interesting. It's, it's really interesting to see the parallels between the two stories that are like, you know, hundreds of years apart. Yeah. I really like how it made me think about what is science fiction and the fact that, like, the, the people of Shakespeare's time, advanced technology very, to them would have included, very likely would have included magic because that's right. what they what they were working with at the time. And I, I just, I kind of love that. 
that that's sort of, I guess maybe that's why we use the term speculative fiction instead of science fiction, because what, what is science when you don't know what science is? Right. You know, and who knows what kind of stuff we'll have, you know, what kind of science fiction stories we'll have 10 years from now when we have other new science. Right. You know, uh, AI. Yeah. <laughs> AI writing about itself. Oh God. Right. Support the writer's guild strike. So do we have plans of what we're doing next? I think that you and I are going to be away for a little while. I hear you're going yes. on a trip. That's right. We're going away. Brave new uh, world. Yeah, we're going and we're <laughs> traveling together to London. So we're going to have a, a good, uh, fun time there. And so we'll have to do something, I guess, in June. Um, well, I was I was thinking of um, doing, um, we haven't done anything Michael Crichton. And oh. I was suggesting um, there's a, one of his early books is called Andromeda Strain, which is about. Oh, yeah, you tell me about this. Yeah. And there's a book and there's a movie, and they're both pretty good. So. Hmm. Okay. Maybe we can do that. That could be fun. I'd be down for that one. Okay. I was going to say it's Pride Month. We should do like a gay science fiction thing, but I was Googling it before and I couldn't find anything. Well, we had Dex, but. Caught my. Yeah. We, I couldn't find anything that caught my like interest to do. No, we already did um, All You Zombies. That's kind of like one of the most interesting ones. And Left Hand of Darkness. And Left Hand of Darkness. And what was the one with Dex called? Sound a for Song the for the Wild Built. We should do the sequel to that at some point, too. I read it. You read it and see. What you, I don't think it was quite as good. I'm waiting for the third one. Is it going to be a trilogy? I think she just... Um, she, this particular author... Uh, writes like a bunch of books with the same characters. So she has a mm -hmm. like a spaceship book. Maybe we should do one of other books, which has some what bit gay interspecies kind of a character. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, we could take a look. I mean I like the idea. I like Crichton. I haven't I've read the Jurassic Park books, but I right. haven't read So he He's a very similar style, you know. He he builds up suspense and things happen pretty quickly, mm -hmm. and and the movie was very good. We can talk about it if we do it. But he has a woman sci. There's a woman scientist in the movie, but not in the book, and and mm -hmm. the way they portray the woman scientist is not the usual way you portray woman scientists in these kinds of books. So, okay, I'm suspicious, but I'm interested. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can uh, uh, watch it on the plane. To... No, we should watch it on your big TV. Or we can watch it on big TV. This is very true. We can absolutely do that. Um, so, okay. I think we're all done then. All right, everyone. Yep. Thank you for joining us here at History in Reverse. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bye -bye. everyone.